And uh, what a blessing. And uh, uh, I am sure that if you are interested in joining the choir, you can see Brother Daniel and uh, he, can, he can get you uh, all fixed up. And uh, these guys have done a wonderful job. We actually, uh, it's a blessing you were able to pull that off tonight, Daniel, because I know you've got a lot of the choir uh, away today, but uh, that was really a blessing. Thank you. I love that song and the message of that song. Uh, we're in the Gospel of Mark chapter 15 this evening, Mark chapter 15. So if you find your place, you're able to stand with us, if you would do so, Mark chapter 15. Uh, I'm going to read just a few verses that, uh, that deal with the, the crucifixion. And uh, then we're going to come back in and fill the details in here this evening. Uh, in verse number 20, uh, we read, And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. We go to verse number 24. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour they crucified him. We read in verse number 27, And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left hand. And as we read through this section of Scripture, we, we see Jesus Christ as the suffering servant. Uh, I think we could relate to this chapter, Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah chapter 53 presents the Lord Jesus Christ in this capacity as presented to us here in the Gospel of Mark. I'd like with that to, to go to the Lord in prayer, and would you pray tonight uh, for God's way in this service, and let's just commit this time unto Him, and take some time here tonight just to yield to the Lord and what He would speak unto us. Father, thank you, uh, just really, as we heard in song, Calvary's love and the blood uh, that we shed, and Lord, you've been so good to us. Thank you for the sacrifice, and we have so many blessings uh, the wonderful gift of salvation, uh, the privilege of a home in heaven, uh, this opportunity of fellowship together. Lord, all that you've done for us, all because of your sacrifice. And Lord, help us on this Memorial Day weekend to remember that sacrifice. And Lord, thank you for already meeting with us. We pray, would you take charge of this service and exalt your name tonight? We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated this evening. And as you are seated, just a couple of, of reminders. And we've mentioned over and over as we have uh, marched through the Gospel of Mark. The theme of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus, the servant of man. Uh, we've given the theme verse. And if you want to go back to Mark chapter 10 and verse number 45, I, I believe this is the theme verse of the Gospel of Mark. And it reads in Mark 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And you think about this, Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of the universe, he came into this world not to be served, but to serve and to obey his Father going to the cross, giving his life as a ransom. Now this theme, as we march through the crucifixion scene, uh, this account of the cross in the Gospel of Mark really, really gives an emphasis to the theme of the suffering servant. And I pointed out to you this morning that, that word and, and we're going to see that just a bit tonight, uh, but the word and here in, in Mark chapter 15, it's an account mostly 
of what was done to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, other accounts in the gospel from the cross uh, talk about the words of Jesus or uh, speak of, uh, of others and their response to the cross. But here in the gospel of Mark, we see the things that were done to the Lord Jesus Christ and not so much the actions and words of Jesus, but the actions of others upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the suffering servant. And this account is, is really one long sentence, and I think you're going to see that tonight. It's, it's like uh, ocean waves coming and beating against the shore. It's just wave after wave after wave of suffering, endless waves of pain, agony, suffering coming upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to break it down tonight, three parts. So you'll see the waves of sorrow, and then the words of the Savior. And in the midst of it, the work of salvation. And you can see this outline as we march through this section of Scripture. Now, the waves of sorrow, we have already in past weeks um, uh, looked at the suffering of Jesus at the hands of Jewish leadership. We saw that he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, that he was arrested from the Garden of Gethsemane. He was taken to the, to the, uh, the court of Caiaphas, uh, there he was falsely accused, uh, false witnesses raised up against the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there in the house of Caiaphas, he was mocked, uh, he was condemned to die. And then next we saw his suffering at the hands of Pilate and at the hands of the, of the Romans. Uh, I want you to look here, Mark 15, verse number uh, 15, Mark 15, verse 15. It reads, and so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, delivered Jesus, when he had scourged him to be crucified. And we spoke about that scourging uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It um, was really a horrible thing. And he would have been beaten on his back and flesh, as we spoke this morning and Wednesday night, ripped from the back. Uh, there would have been an open wound and bleeding. Much blood was shed before we ever reach the cross. And then in verse number 17, you see that they clothed him with purple. They're mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. They planted a crown of thorns. And it stated of those thorns, they would be an inch to an inch and a half thick, thick or along. And they would press those thorns into the skull of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so his back is beaten to a bloody pulp. Uh, now the blood is flowing down his face. In the book of Isaiah, it's very clear that he would be beyond recognition, uh, just the suffering that physically Jesus would go through. So they plaited the crown of thorns in verse 17. They put it about his head. They began to salute him. Uh, this is mockery. Uh, Hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed, did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. All of this is done in mockery of the Lord. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Uh, it was really atrocious, the things the Lord uh, was forced to suffer and to, uh, to endure. Now this morning, we saw his suffering through the life of Simon. I want to again read verse number 21. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. And, and we pointed out this morning that uh, I, I believe Jesus was a man's man. Uh, he was not a weakling. He was a carpenter. Uh, we can see throughout his earthly ministry the strength of character, the physical strength and the emotional strength 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but at this particular point, the weight of sin is being placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that started in the Garden of Gethsemane. And previously, we saw that there was a war, there was a battle there with the devil that night. And I, I believe there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the devil tried to take the life of the Lord Jesus before he would enter the cross. And remember, uh, the Lord prayed in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. The Bible tells us there in the garden that he sweated, as it were, drops of blood. And that would give us the indication of great emotional and physical strain that Jesus would be enduring there even in the garden. Uh, then he endured the night before the crucifixion. Uh, there was the trial at the Sanhedrin. This kangaroo trial where they condemned him as guilty before they ever found him to be so. Of course, he was innocent of all the charges. He was beaten at the hands of the Romans that we just read about already, the great loss of blood. Uh, many, uh, history tells us, many died uh, of the scourging uh, before a crucifixion that would ever take place. And so it, it's very evident as we come to that point, Jesus has suffered tremendously and he's physically weak. And so now Simon bears the cross for the Lord Jesus Christ as we dealt with Simon this morning. Now we come to Golgotha. Look with me in verse number 22. And they bring him to the place Golgotha. Uh, we call it Calvary, which being interpreted the place of a skull. Uh, the place of the skull. Uh, it's on the north of Jerusalem. It's outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Now, when in 2018 had the privilege of, of uh, going to Jerusalem, we were taken to this place that is now considered to be the, the place of Golgotha, the place of the skull. It's the name that was given to a skull-shaped hill uh, where Jesus would have been crucified. Uh, that became the place of death. It was the place of execution of the king. Uh, you'll notice as these waves of sorrow through the crucifixion come rolling in, and you'll see again the, the term, the word, and. And each wave uh, gives us another level of sorrow that would have been endured by Jesus Christ with the crucifixion. Uh, verse number 23, just follow this through. It's one long sentence. And it says, And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. See, this was a drink that was designed to ease the pain and the suffering. Uh, would have been a pain reliever, but he received it not. See, he would not ease his pain. He would not lessen the bitterness. He would endure the full brunt of the cross, and uh, he would endure that full amount of pain. He would not have his mind or his senses to be dulled. He would endure it all, and I believe he would do so in the full faculties of his mind. Uh, we read in verse number 24, this sentence continues. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. See, at this point, he is nailed to the cross. Uh, we read in verse number 25, it was the third hour, and they crucified him. The third hour, uh, according to Jewish custom, would have been 9 a.m. on Passover day. Uh, we read here from the Gospel of Mark and comparing with others of the Gospels that Jesus spent six hours on the cross. It was six hours of suffering. 
It was at noon that darkness came upon the face of the entire area there. Uh, and that would have lasted from noon to about 3 p.m. And it was at 3 p.m. Uh, that Jesus gave up the ghost. And for six long hours, Jesus hung upon that cross. In verse number 24, And when they crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. Now think about this. Here is the creator. Here is the one that clothed the lilies of the fields. Here's the one that feeds the birds of the air. Here's the one that is held uh, in his hands the entire universe. Here's the one that by him all things exist. Here's the one that made everything. But here's this one, the God of the universe, that is left with nothing. The Bible tells us that at this point they took his garments and they divided them amongst the soldiers. We know that his seamless garment was gambled away. They cast lots for it. Jesus suffered here the lowest humility. Here's the God of the universe, completely stripped and left bare before the entire world to be gazed upon, to be mocked, to be ridiculed. This is the level of suffering he's enduring. In verse number 26, the superscription and the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, this is the shortest account, and we know that this was given in three languages, in Hebrew, in Greek, in Latin, so that all that would pass by would see this superscription upon the cross. It was a statement, really, as you read through this, a statement of mockery. It was a mockery to the nation, the king of the Jews. And it was a mockery to Jesus Christ for such a claim. And remember, the soldiers already had mocked him with the crown of thorns and the robe of purple and bowing the knee in pretense worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you think about this. They had no idea that superscription, the king of the Jews, they had no idea that this was a prophecy. That truly this was and is the king of the Jews. And as we've been marching through the book of Jeremiah during our Sunday school hour, we see the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ, the root of David, the offspring of David, the one that will one day rule upon the throne of David during the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know of this one that every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess him to be Lord. He is the king. He is the king of kings. They put this in mockery, but it was a prophecy and a prediction of who Jesus truly is. They had no idea of the reality of the Savior. But look on as these waves of sorrow continue to roll in. Verse 27. And with him they crucified two thieves. The one on his right hand, the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with transgressors. He was considered at this point a criminal worthy of death, though he had no sin. They had no accusation they could legitimately give to him, their accusation, the king of the Jews. That was all that they could come up with to place him 
upon the cross. Now the two thieves were guilty. Perhaps they were a part of the crowd of Barabbas. Uh, they were thieves, guilty, condemned to die, worthy of death. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ in his death is placed between these thieves. Here's the innocent one, considered now to be the ringleader of the guilty ones. The innocent dying in the midst of the guilty. He was so fully identified in his death with sin and with sinners. Those that would pass by would consider him as guilty, worthy, condemned to die. Uh, and yet perfectly, totally innocent. He identified with you and I, with our sin in his death. Notice as we move on, these waves of sorrow rolling in. Verse 29, we have in the next verses a threefold mockery. We have the people. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple... And buildest it in three days, save thyself, and come down from the cross. Here, the people, they mock. They no doubt have heard the stories of the Lord Jesus Christ, but seeing him upon the cross, now they consider these accounts either to be false or something here worthy of mockery. And the people mocked him. They wagged their heads. The priests, in verse 31. Likewise also, the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross. All of this spoken in mockery, in ridicule, ridicule of the Lord. Now think about the patience of the Lord Jesus there upon the cross. Is all the crowd condemning him, mocking him. And yet Jesus would remain on the cross. He had the authority and the power to come down from that cross. And he had the power to call legions of angels. He made them and they would bow before him. He could simply speak the word and destroy all of those that mocked him. And yet his words from the cross, not recorded in the gospel of Mark, his father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We read on of the prisoners in verse 32, the latter part. They that were crucified with him reviled him. So both thieves on either side in the initial beginnings of the crucifixion are mocking Jesus along with the crowd, along with the chief priests. We know that the Gospel of Mark doesn't record this, but we know one of the thieves evidently witnessing the Lord Jesus Christ and witnessing his spirit, uh, realized there's something different about this man dying upon the cross. He's more than a man. And he looks to the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, Lord, have mercy upon me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. Here's wonderful blessing here of, of salvation. That thief did not come down from the cross to get baptized. That thief did not come down from the cross to join a church. That thief did not come down to the, from the cross to live a good life. No, that thief was accepted by the Lord in the midst of his sin, just as he was. And that day in simple faith, he turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just wondering how many people are really going to be in heaven 
that maybe uh, at last minute we never knew about but cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a man that is guilty of thievery. Here's a man that probably is murdered, maybe a part of Barabbas' crowd. Here's a man worthy of death, and yet he turns to Jesus Christ at the last minute of his life, and there he's gloriously saved. And that day he was in paradise with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet before his salvation, he's mocking the Lord Jesus there in his midst. For three hours, this mockery raged on. From 9 a.m. in the morning when he was crucified to noon when darkness came across the face of the earth, uh, the mockery of the crowds, the mockery of the priests, the mockery of the prisoners, this continued on wave after wave of sorrow. In verse 33, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and so now nature is draped in sorrow. And as the Lord Jesus Christ is there bearing the weight of the sin of the world, even nature, even the realms around would recognize the sorrow of this event and darkness upon the face of the earth. Those are the waves of sorrow. And then in verse number 34, we come to the words of the Savior. Mark leaves out the other six sayings of Christ from the cross. There are seven sayings of Christ from the cross. And they're very important. Mark leaves all of them out but one. In verse number 34, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is to say, or which is being interpreted, my God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, Mark focuses upon this quote from Psalm 22. We have darkness. It's over the face. And now at the ninth hour, the Lord Jesus Christ breaks that silence. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Piercing that darkness, piercing the silence. In all of the suffering, you think about this, he still possessed God. In all of the suffering, his father was still his father. But he was forsaken by God. It's something tonight beyond our ability to comprehend. That cry was the very depth of sorrow and despair. Sin was a heavy load. The load of sin was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. With that cry, guilt, shame, despair, hopelessness, loneliness, separation, all of that engulfed the Lord Jesus upon the cross. We'll never comprehend tonight that, that weight the price that was paid for our forgiveness. I said with every blessing, uh, there is a sacrifice. This is the deepest, greatest sacrifice that has ever been given. All of the sin of the world was on Jesus there upon the cross. It was not His sin. He was perfect. He was without sin. He was the Lamb without blemish. No, it was my sin. It was your sin. 
that put him upon the cross. As the book of 1 Corinthians states, or 2 Corinthians states, he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. He made to be sin. Think about it tonight. Vile sin. Wicked sin. Filthy sin. Immoral sin. All on Jesus Christ. There upon the cross, he was made to be a murderer. A thief. An adulterer. Every vile and immoral sin. Every perversion. There upon the cross, the hatred of the world was placed upon Jesus Christ. All of the bitterness this world has known was placed upon Jesus Christ. Uh, the war and the hungering and the suffering of the world was placed on Jesus Christ. Every lie and dishonest act was there burdened and carried by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the loneliness the world has known and the hopelessness and helplessness of the world, that was Jesus. And that was the source of the cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was the worst part of the cross. It was not the physical suffering. It was not the mockery of the world and the priests and the leaders. No, it was the separation that was caused by sin from his Father. For the first time in the history of the world, God the Father separated from God the Son as that weight and burden of sin placed upon Jesus Christ. Look in verse number 35. No one understood the depths of the agony of that day. In verse 35, And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. Now some have suggested this may have been the Jews, and I think that's very clear because the Romans would not have known Elias. So perhaps the Jewish priests, and some said it was a final mockery. One last laugh. Now the lips of Christ, if you think about this, were parched. But now moistened with the vinegar. And in verse number 37, it reads, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. His final words are not recorded for us here in the Gospel of Mark. They are in other Gospels. Only mentioned here is the cry, the agony, the death. Uh, the other Gospels tell us that the final words of the Lord, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and then it is finished. The price for sin has been paid. It's complete. It's done. It's finished. There's no more to add to what Jesus did for us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen. It's not a matter of becoming a better person or turning over a new leaf. It's a matter of putting our trust upon the finished work of Christ and receiving that gift of salvation in our heart. And salvation is a miracle worked by the grace of God. 
He gave up the ghost. He yielded to death. A meek lamb going to the slaughter. I've said it over and over and over and over. They did not take his life. He could have called the angels. He yielded his life. And he did so because it was the only way of salvation. It's the waves of sorrow. Those words of our Savior. But I want to culminate and finish tonight with the work of salvation. One of the most beautiful thoughts here in the Word of God. Verse 38. Look at this. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That veil, that's the veil that separated the innermost part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. It's the place where God dwelt. It's the location of the mercy seat. It's where the cherubim look upon the mercy seat. It's the place where the high priest once a year, the Day of Atonement, would enter offering a blood sacrifice upon that mercy seat. And the cherubim would look upon that blood. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord that placed at the garden were the angels protecting the entrance into the garden from the tree of life. And here that is pictured in the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. And only the high priest once a year, the Day of Atonement, would, would enter into that place. But listen to me tonight. Here's the work of salvation. Our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, entered into that veil that day. And there on that mercy seat placed his blood. And that veil separating God from man, That veil that keeps man out of the presence of the holy God, that veil was rent in twain that day from top to bottom. It was God that reached down to man. It was God that paid the price. It was God that broke the way into the presence of God. And now God invites each and every one of us into his presence through the blood of Jesus that was shed. You understand tonight that all of the sorrow, all of the suffering of Jesus Christ upon the cross that day was to make a way for sinners, it was to open the door to heaven, it was to make clear the way to God. That's the work of salvation. What a gift! What a treasure! Let's look at verse 39. This ought to be our response. When the centurion which stood over against him saw that he cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. See, the work of salvation has been accomplished. That ought to be our heart cry tonight. Truly, this was the Son of God. An invitation goes forth here tonight. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him that heareth say, Come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life 
freely. And that invitation tonight, because of the work of salvation, is available to all. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I spent a lot of my life, and I was raised in a church, and for that I am very grateful. My parents met in church. I was baptized in fourth grade, but I was lost. And I thought that if I could be good enough, I could earn my way to heaven. And the harder I tried to do good, the worse I got. And I came to realize I could not do it. I was lost, a sinner, in need of a Savior. One night I cried out and said, Lord, I believe. I believe you died for me. You paid my debt. You gave your life. Lord, I come to you, and I need you, and I receive you. And when I came to Jesus Christ, I discovered something, that veil of the temple had been rent in twain. I found an open door to God. I found a path that religion couldn't give me. It was a path that only my Savior could give me. And we see here tonight in, in this scripture as we deal with the crucifixion, there are the waves of sorrow that led to the words of the Savior, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But that was the work of salvation as he gave up the ghost and the door to God was opened once and for all. What a gift. With our heads bowed tonight, let's come before the Lord.